This was recorded at the 21st Chinwag Live event, Social Media ROI, on 28th October 2008 at the e-commerce expo in London. The panel featured Alex Burmeister from Nielsen Online, Robin Grant from We Are Social, Anchor Shaw from TechLightenment, Stuart Bruce from Wolfstar, Helen Lawrence from Dare, with digital strategy consultant Philip Buxton chairing. It was sponsored by the UKTI. The event was produced by Julia Island for Chinwag. Um, and without further ado, I'd like to hand over to the chair of this panel, Phil Buxton. Thanks very much. Afternoon, everybody. Hi. Hello. Uh, yes, my name is Philip Buxton. Can you all hear us at the back? Yep. Uh, I was the editor of Revolution until about a year and a half ago, um, for a couple of years. I was then a freelance consultant or a consultant for a digital strategy house called Circus Street, uh, which, um, which advised very senior businesses, very large businesses, about what to do about a digital strategy. I'm now a freelance consultant, so I'm just telling you that so you know that I've got some, some reason to be up here. Um, we can see by the, by the room how popular this event is and that social media is indeed a hot topic, and we're obviously tackling the most critical issue around it, which is, yes, we can see that people are adding comments on a blog. We can see that people are rating your site on Delicious. Can we tell whether it actually has any effect at all on your campaign, on your brand, whether it actually means anything? So it's a tricky topic. And we have some very senior people here to try and handle those tough questions. I'll just introduce those for you. They are Alex Burmaster, if you could raise your hand, Alex, who is European Internet Analyst at Nielsen Online. We have Robin Grant, founder and MD of We Are Social. We have Ankur Shah, who is co-founder of TechLightenment. TechLightenment. Tech uh, we have Stuart Bruce, who is founder and MD of Wolfstar. And we have Helen Lawrence, who is a social media planner at Digital Agency Dare. So it is an illustrious panel, and it is your opportunity to ask tough questions of this illustrious group. Um, I do have questions on my own that we can kick off with, but I think we're probably at a level of debate where lots of people here have very specific questions. So if there is one, we have mics already available and someone has a question. Do we have a question already? We don't. Right, I will kick off then. Uh, and I've shown this question to the panel previously uh, only five minutes ago, so it's not rehearsed, um, but it's a tricky one, so we'll see how they fare. Uh, a story on TechCrunch this morning revealed research by Network Insights that showed the top 10 most talked about US TV shows was not the same as the top 10 most watched TV shows according to some, uh, some advanced measurement tools of social media. Now what that, what that brings up is, is being talked about, is social media engagement genuinely a measure of success? So uh, I'm gonna, we're going to start with that question, and I want to start with Robin on that, please. Thanks for that, Phil. I'm, I'm very pleased to be going first on this question. Um, so none of us actually have seen this article, so it's, um, I suppose it's quite hard to, to comment in detail. Um, so I, I suppose the point they're trying to make there is they're trying to disparage some of the myths around, around social media and, and social media measurement. Um, I think the, the, the point that I'd make is that, obviously, there are a lot of TV shows that have really... Um, evangelical communities that form around them um, and generate a lot of debate and discussion. So the, the, poor, the pure volume of those discussions is likely to be large 
you know, as, a, as opposed to some other main sh- mainstream shows that don't have the same sort of passionate following. So that's probably skewing the results. You'll probably find lots of sci-fi shows. We're, we're in that top ten. Phil, you should correct me if I'm wrong. Um, which tend to have really large and passionate communities. Now, that's not a, a sign of anything bad. That's just a sign of different... different in this instance, different TV shows have different levels of engagements, just as people are more likely to talk about Nike, for example, than they are to talk about Colgate. Um, So I don't think it's really saying anything that we didn't know already. And I'll pass the the mic. Yeah, I mean, in terms of uh, engagement and when you look at shows like that, I mean, obviously the top 10 US TV shows are mainstream by their definition. And really, those audiences who are watching those shows probably aren't really representative of people who are blogging or talking about TV shows on the internet. I mean, obviously, coming from a research company who, who our business is based on online research, it's probably heresy to say that social media in terms of actually people creating social media is still I think still relatively niche it's not despite what you might think completely mainstream and I think when you look at say that TV shows is a good example about the difference between where your business is and what your needs are and I think this will be a theme that comes up throughout the entire panel in terms of ROI on social media it completely depends where you are in your business cycle what your product is there is no straightforward answer I mean if we take the TV example I mean Four years ago, we did a study in the US which looked at um, discussion levels and sentiment um, from uh, a whole slew of new TV shows to be launched in the coming six months. And measuring the level of buzz, so the amount of people uh, that were talking about shows and then the sentiment behind them, so whether it's good, bad or indifferent, um, two of the top three predictions were Lost and Desperate Housewives. And these were at a time when those two shows weren't. They were brand new shows. They didn't really have any recognisable stars at all. There wasn't a huge amount of budget um, in terms of promotion at that stage. Yet these two shows went on to become incredibly successful. So from that point of view, measuring buzz and, and the sentiment around it and engagement was a, was a direct prediction of success. I, I mean, I'm sort of agreeing with what's already been said, but I'm, I, th- I think one of the issues is probably going to be whether it is the type of show that it is, because there are going to be certain shows that are going to engender community. There are shows where um, people are going to want to talk about them. Um, and I think t- when you actually feed that back to ROI, it's, it's about setting levels of expectation, because we've just started working with a TV production company that is doing a children's TV show, and they had kind of very high expectations when we first started talking to them about what they could achieve in terms of generate um, in terms of online conversations. We were a lot more conservative in our predictions, simply because we don't we we don't necessarily see parents getting really engaged um, and enthusiastic and passionate about the show. Their kids might. Um, they're sort of the two to five year olds that it's aimed at but they themselves won't so if we're actually going to increase the levels of conversations it's probably going to be more around the sense of community that people can share and I think that's probably the reason for, one of the reasons for the disparity between the figures of um, conversations and what's actually being watched uh, Before we go to you Helen I think the point there is that um, well, I don't want to get too hung up on the fact as US shows what I want to, what I want to talk about is the fact that's one example of where social media engagement being measured did not match up with the traditional measure of success which for them was viewing figures for TV figures so given that's likely to be the case in other areas how much is social media engagement actually a measure of success and therefore why should we be linking it back to ROI in the first place so just to make it a bit more difficult for you Helen 
I had a completely scripted answer, which was just completely messed up. Thank you. Um, engagement as a measure of success, crikey. Um, for TV shows, I think you can naturally track kind of engagement through to actually propensity to watch something with traditional things like surveys off the back of the content. But I think your point about actually the type of TV show it is or the type of company that it is and working out what audience you've got and then how you want to engage them is obviously really important. You want to actually make sure that what content you're putting out there will be right for that audience. Is it a clip? Is it a game, as you say, for parents and their children? And working out how that level of engagement is relative to that audience, I think, is really, really quite important. So I think I'm going to um, sharply disagree both with Alex and Robin, which is just more fun that way. But in terms of what Robin and Alex talk about in terms of buzz, I think it differs widely from the notion of engagement. And I think what we're really at risk of here is turning what we talk about as engagement and basically just matching it up with impressions or page impressions. It doesn't really matter if you can show that 65, people, 65 million people have engaged with a particular brand because they've had a conversation. It's actually who those people are and in what type of conversation they're having. And interestingly, in the TechCrunch article, I did have the benefit of reading it, unfortunately, um, is that actually a lot, of these, um, a lot of these conversations may actually have been disparaging about the show. So it was interesting to see that things like Desperate Housewives didn't make it up because of the type of people who are engaging so what I suppose we feel is really important about engagement is understanding who is having the conversation, what the conversation is about, and then ultimately how does it actually lead to sales or to, to actual viewings of the show. And that's the real measure of ROI. And you know, I'll, I'll drop this in, but Alex apparently doesn't know what ROI means, so we'll, we'll see how far we get with that. But that's our view. Great. Okay. Um, has anyone got any specific questions they want to ask about social media and its relevance for ROI? I have more. Hello there. Um, I work for an online bike shop. And I've set up things like Facebook and a little bit on Twitter and our blog and things like that. And it's kind of hard finding a balance of what sort of things to put on there. I mean, do I... The easy thing to put on there is we've got a big sale, we've got a big discount, this bike's half price, something like that. Whereas a kind of thing you want to stay true to putting on general blog content about cycling and cycling routes and stuff like that. Um, And I think it's more... For things like Facebook and Twitter, if you want to kind of get better on those sort of things what's the sort of angle should you take should you kind of put 90% of it as a general chat like some of do a personal blog and then every now and then throw in a sale item or should you try and split it 50-50 or that sort of thing so where we have you know direct goals what, what should we be doing with social media should we be doing direct sales or should we be just chatting and getting involved how do you find the balance so I'll, I'll pick this up. And I think, I think this is a, you know, a question that's very relevant probably to the, the audience here today, which I imagine most of you are very focused on e-commerce, seeing as uh, this is the e-commerce expo. Um, I think one of the, you know, to answer your question, there is no right and wrong, and you should, you should work out what works for you and your individual business and also suits you, suits you as an individual in terms of what you're writing. But I think, I think social media, you know, to make a, a sweeping generalisation, which is probably not particularly safe, um, you know, is, is much more about the awareness and consideration stage and bringing people closer to your brand in terms of the way that people interact with you and, and feel emotionally about you in your instance of bike shop. So I think, you know, if your blog is more conversational and more about local cycling routes, perhaps you get some of your, the cyclists, that, you know, the mountain bikers that hang out at your shop you know, contributing to the blog, writing about their experiences. Um, you know, that would be relevant. And it, it's about building up a loyal following. So people, people you know, in your instance, you know, don't think, don't think about where to go shop for their mountain bike components. They come to you because they feel close to you. They feel like they, you're, you are their friend. Um, I think another important angle, which is perhaps something we haven't talked about on this panel before, because this is a we're, a we're a touring panel, um, is 
is the sort of the search aspect of social media. So where you're talking about running a blog, I mean, one of the important things about, about that your blog can do for you, assuming it's, assuming it's sitting on the same domain, not, not just the same, sorry, the same subdomain as your, as your um, e-commerce store, is that it should be doing a lot for your search engine rankings. If you're generating all of that organic conversational content about um, the sort of activities that you're, that you're, in your instance, your buyers um, are searching for and buying, it will bring lots of, lots of organic traffic into your site. So you should make sure that, yes, although your content is conversational, um, you know, the context of that content, in, te- in this case your blog template, is allowing people direct routes into the, into the purchase path and is letting them know about latest offers. But it's much, in my opinion, much less about, you know, you know, as you would do in email marketing, which is much more about showing people offers and driving conversions. This is much more about a conversation. Can I just respond to that? Cool, yeah. Again, unfortunately, but I, I think that's complete nonsense. And there, this is why. Um, if you really want 4,000 loyal followers to hold your hand and be your friend, by all means, you know, go about the Twitter way and have lots of friends on Facebook. If that really is your business objective, then fine. But the reality is, as a credit crunch bites and we're in a recession, that's really not what you want. You want sales, and I'd assume that ultimately will be your, will be your objective. You want to sell more bikes or whatever product you have. The really interesting thing is now, as the, mature, the market's matured over the last 18 months, is we've got a vast array of people who will tell you how to get more friends, how to create more brand awareness, but to what end? So I think the reality is, yes, there are ways of creating sales. There's one individual creating an affiliate scheme using social media with ten dollars to $15,000 worth of revenue a day from affiliate schemes. We're working on a performance basis. We're getting high conversion rates, 0.8 over 0.3% conversion rates. At the end of the day, if this doesn't fall down to hard, fast figures, it's pointless. There's no point you spending £15,000 on a consultant to tell you I can get you more friends. For £15,000, I'll be your friend. So the reality is, let's try and break this into sales and really measure it in terms of success. Social media really is geared up for that. And I think what you'll start to see in the coming four to six, eight months as people start to realize we can't afford fluffy marketing dollars anymore, that actually I want to see how this converts into sale, start, start putting your money into PPC, social PPC, work out whether it converts into sales. And therefore, you can justify doing more fluffy friend-acquiring activities in the future. Anchor, could you just describe for us what you mean by social PPC? Yeah, sure. So at the moment in search, for example, we, we've got so Google PPC, CPC, CPM, all these different measures of advertising. So as we go through at the moment, what we're finding on social media is because we can now micro-target in social media, I can choose somebody who likes bikes, lives in Manchester and is 18 years old. If he's your core target demographic, I know I'm more likely to have a higher conversion rate if I can get the creative right. To give you an example of this, we did a campaign for Paramount. 45,000 users in a couple of weeks. Not a single user unsubscribed from those emails. Why? Because they were highly targeted, highly relevant. Phone Jacker did a campaign there for E4. Again, we, we jumped up from a 0.3% conversion rate to 0.8 and above for, for Gordon Ramsay because we were targeting Gordon Ramsay fans, which meant we were getting higher conversions and ultimately higher sales. So in terms of ROI, I think there is, and we're developing a, a more direct measure. So what, what do you mean by the execution? What's, what's the ad that you're putting it out there and where are you putting it? So, we're, so for example, at the moment, we do a lot of our stuff on, on Facebook ads, MySpace ads, uh, cross-selling, seeding across social, different social applications. And there are a number of different ways of, of doing this. And what we're now going towards is a performance-based model. So we're saying, well, okay, look, pay us 20% less than you'd pay whoever's doing your Google PPC. And out of that, we're going to get you a higher conversion rate. And by all means, if you get an upside, pay us some of the upside because we're getting you sales. So what we're doing in terms of our media model is we're moving away from saying, yeah, let's make a really funky application to actually saying, well, let's just put all your money towards media spend. And we might make an application as part of that. It may be relevant. It may not. But the ultimate measure of all this is sales. And that's what we really want to go to. 
Does that help? Yeah. Uh, any of you guys, Stuart? Yeah, yeah no, I just want to sort of add to that. It's actually possible that you're both right. Robin's probably more right. <laughs> Uh, but I think you, both, you, you can both still be right at the same time. I think what the key is, is, yeah, you don't want to embark on a social media programme if it's for kind of fluffy objectives like finding ex, you know, your 15,000 friends. But, but what you do need to do is set some key performance indicators at the start of the campaign. And sometimes they are going to be sales-related, sometimes they're not. Um, I mean, one of the projects that we worked on recently, um, it was sales-related, but it was nothing to do with driving new sales. It was about um, trying to increase sales from the, um, the existing customers and reducing churn. And by, and by actually getting customers to know um, the company and the people there a lot better, that was, one of, you know, that, was, that was a really good way of using social media to drive sales, but with kind of diff- a slightly different KPI. I mean, I think I've got a a slightly different perspective on this because I, because I come from a public relations background and, you know, for sort of the entire 40, 50 years that it's been a recognised profession, we've always been struggling to measure what we do and to, and to evaluate what we do. And so I think what we're doing in social media is actually very similar. It's incredibly easy to actually um, to evaluate social media but the point is it's going to cost you so much money that you could, um, to, to do so effectively that you could have you, you could be probably better off spending that money on doing more campaign activity because the, the best way to do it is the type of traditional research where you're doing some benchmarking of attitudes before a campaign and the benchmarking of attitudes after a campaign. If you try to use some really simplistic measures, like whether it's number of comments, whether it's visits, whatever it is, yeah, brilliant metrics, loads and loads of numbers, but it's how you interpret and evaluate and use them to drive your business. That's the key thing. Can I add to that quickly as well? I think also all those metrics, number of comments, those basic ones, but there's also a real human side of it that you can't measure from the back of a blog. So actually being there and listening to those conversations and actually having a human person working out what people are saying and commenting back to you on Twitter, comments on your blog, but then working out the impact of that on your company. So if somebody's saying to you, you should be doing this within customer service, and you say, right, I set up a customer service Twitter or a wiki, working out the impact of that on the cost within your company or the cost of a campaign, I think, is really important. And you can't measure that kind of thing. You've actually got to have someone listening to those conversations everywhere. And then how that affects your campaigns or how that affects your customer service and the impact that has on your company as well can be measured so has it reduced the number of calls to your call center that kind of thing i think is really important great um can i just get a feel for the audience about how how many of you actually sell online our e-commerce site owners great okay any other questions you work for an online paint shop a bike shop a different online bike shop to this fairly um you're talking about all the good bits of social networking like everyone says your company's brilliant or blah, 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 what's to stop someone tearing your company to pieces? Yeah, going online and saying, don't shop there, it's rubbish, or yep. don't buy that, it's sure. crap. Basically. I guess the answer to that, guys, is nothing. Um, does anyone have something to add on that? Yeah, I mean, I think what I would say there is, if, you, if you've got a ship company, you've got ship services, people are going to say, um, you're shit, they're already talking about that. Um, you know, they're just doing it in the office, they're doing it around the water cooler. The difference is, once that conversation moves online, you can listen to that com- conversation, you can learn from it to correct your behaviour, and you can participate in the conversation. So, it's, you should actually, so uh, uh, quite frequently, looking at negative online comment is one of the greatest areas of value of social media, because companies can actually, you know, learn 
lots and lots about their customer base. And yeah, sometimes you're going to get a totally disgruntled customer who, where you've done nothing wrong and you know, they're going and slagging you off. But guess what? If you're a good company, what you're usually going to find is you're going to have other loyal customers out there who are going to be the ones that come in and defend you. You don't need to do it yourself. Also, from an SEO point of view, if somebody's put a negative comment and you've answered it with something constructive as well, so, I don't know, the Bluetooth isn't working on my phone, I bloody hate this company. If you've come back saying, actually, this is a solution, the next time somebody then searches in Google for how do I get the Bluetooth to work, they've actually found your official answer within it as well, so they're not calling up your call centre. So responding to those negative comments constructively can be really useful. Um, yeah, I mean, we a good example of what, what you just said there was we did a a big case study, a big project with Toyota in the States a couple of years ago, and they're one of the early adopters of social media. They use it very, very heavily, which for a very traditional Japanese company was, was quite a big sell in the US. Um, and they, they, they had some new car, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, there was some major problem with something, I don't know, probably in America, the drinks tray or something wasn't big enough. But, but anyway, it, there was a lot of anti-sentiment on the blogosphere among the leading Toyota bloggers, and it it was, really, it was really crippling them a little bit. It started to get, you know, there was a lot of flames. It started to get fanned out to the wider communities. And Toyota just, just hit it head on. They just said, yeah, you know, we mucked up. We made a mis- mistake. We acknowledged that. And then they created a couple of sort of customer forums where they were very humble. They were very open. They were very transparent, which is the way you have to be in social media. If, if, you, uh, if you act in any other way, you're, you know, you're screwed. And because they were very open about it, they were very honest, they actually gained a lot of credibility and people went away and started talking in other blogs about how Toyota, a massive corporate, acknowledged their mistake. And actually, that, perversely, that actually got them a lot of brand credibility and there was a lot of positive empathy towards Toyota. So it's definitely going to happen. Of course it's going to happen unless you've got the world's perfect product. But it's, it's just a question of whether you deny it or whether you hit it head on. And I would say hit it head on, which I think is what the other panellists were saying anyway. Okay, answer your question. Yeah. Uh, I know there's one at the back. Uh, Raj Anand from Quick, based in Brighton. Um, the question is about uh, Twitter and the Twitter ROI. Uh, so I met uh, the president of uh, Yale UK last, last week, and uh, he was telling us about uh, Facebook and blogging and the ROI from, from these uh, excellent sources. Uh, so I sort, of, I sort of mentioned Twitter and the Twitter ROI, and he was like, oh, Twitter is, is crap. Don't even think about it. So do you have any examples of, of Twitter and how you know, that was used for engaging people and, or, or sort of you know, a good ROI from it, really? Robin? Yes. Um, so, I mean, there are, there are some, some interesting uh, ways that people are using, using Twitter. I mean, I think I, think I, would, uh, I would state first off that Twitter is, is not exactly mainstream. Um, but the people that are on Twitter tend to be um, influencers elsewhere in social media. So they tend to be the sort of people that have their own blogs um, or are very active on Facebook, etc., etc. So they do, they do tend to be um, those influential people out there that are very highly engaged with brands. Um, so there's some good US examples of people using it. I mean, there's... Um, there's uh, Woot.com, which is a sort of an IT um, supplier that sort of sets up deals on a regular basis. And they use that. They've got... They've got 
somewhere around sort of 10,000 subscribers, which is still not very big numbers if you look at sort of, the, I imagine, the size of most of your email lists. But it's still driving direct sales. They're using that in a very transactional man- measure to, in manner to, to, to sort of output the latest deals. And people have proactively signed up to that, knowing what they'll get. But there's some much more interesting uses of Twitter, I think, from, from other companies. I mean, we're helping Skype at the moment um, do this. Dell are also doing this. Um, Comcast are doing this. Where they're actually, you know, as well as they do this everywhere in social media, but part of that is on Twitter, where they're, where they're monitoring those conversations to, to see what people are saying about their brand and they're responding in real time. So going back to your question, I mean, it is, it's very important to respond. Twitter's actually a very easy way of sort of dipping your toe in the water because, you know, there is a very good search tool for, for Twitter, meaning you'll hit 100% of the conversation when people are talking about your brand. And it's obviously very easy to respond because you've only got 140 characters to use, so you can't spend too much time doing it. Um, and that really is driving sort of, you know, people's perceptions of, of, of brands. I mean, there was a massive, um, you, know, you know, sort of front page of the business section New York Times article about how Comcast are using Twitter. There have been similar articles about how Dell have been using um, Twitter and the rest of social media, and it really seems to be impacting on these, these companies' share price, which I think you probably don't get a, a better measure of ROI than that. I'm cool. I just really, I just want to take Robin to task on this because it's an interesting question. I take the point really. Twitter themselves haven't found a way of making money. So what shocks me is that we can say that this is actually you can state that this is a good measure of ROI. It's all anecdotal. Yeah, it's increased perception. Yeah, it's increased brand. Has Skype actually made any more money than they were making before by using Twitter? Because they have great customer services. They can use it, you know, in terms of reaching out to their customers. But in terms of a pure measure, have any of the companies you've worked with or indeed Skype made any more money as a result of using something like Twitter? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at that answer tangentially. I think, I think just to put this in context for, for the audience here, you're, sort of, you're looking at an array of, of people on this panel that, that come from a wide different different background of agencies and to put it sort of in context I suppose where I'm coming from is, is more sort of what you, you you know if you transpose this into the, the digital marketing arena probably you know you know from one of the, the, the brand led agencies and, and um, Ancor's coming at it very much from the sort of you know the uh, the, pay, the PPC angle if you like and there, there are merits um, to both approaches and I don't think you know one you'd advocate doing one and not the other I think both both approaches are valid and add and do different things but obviously on the on the brand side of things that's a lot harder to measure um, because it is about people's perceptions of you as a brand and and therefore what you know at some point in the future that has that what impact that has on your purchasing behavior so the simple answer is is no because it's because it's it's virtually impossible to prove however you know you, you could say the same thing about traditional um tv advertising or or um or press advertising and, and that's a thriving industry that the clients consistently spend money on um, yes, in that in that instance. Yeah, no, just uh, sort of to sure. add to something that Robin said. Um, one of the one of the key things about Twitter is the fact that it is real time. So um, if it, you can define ROI in different ways, and um, Alex is meant to know what it means, but for me, ROI means two things. It, it, it's not just return on investment; it's also return on influence, and that's where. Twitter can be very useful 
because you can monitor in real time what people are talking about. And last year, I was the director of communications for Alan Johnson when he was running um, to be deputy leader of the Labour Party. And one of the things we were doing was actually finding out the issues that people were talking about at any given moment. Um, and, and then we could respond to them. And we wouldn't necessarily respond to them via Twitter. Sometimes we'd actually respond to them in an entirely different arena. For example, we, uh, one of the things we did was to use intelligence we gleaned from Twitter to actually dictate some of the content that happened in a radio interview. So, you know, it depends on how you choose to use um, different social media tools. Um, if you're wondering why I'm shouting out names randomly, it's because we're being podcast. So it's just so people listening to that know who's talking at any one time. Uh, I think we've got a question just down there. Hi there. Uh, sorry, this is quite a specific question, but I think it might get to the uh, nub of the issue. And I apologise about talking to you from the floor. Um, now, my question is, how do you measure exposure to conversation that happens online. So, for example, if I don't have uh, my own blog, um, but I've uh, talked to uh, bloggers and got them talking about my product or the issue, um, without then asking for the bloggers' numbers of readers, how do I measure the number of people who have been, inf- uh, who have been exposed to that conversation? For example, I mean, you know, the, the, obviously the 1% rule, where you've got 1% writing, 10% commenting, and then you've got, what is it, almost 100% uh, actually just reading it. Uh, that might be quite a, an obvious question, but I think it's a, a key one, certainly for me. And also, have you ever had, have you got any examples of following that exposure to the conversation through to sales, and how did you do it? Who wants that? <laughs> uh, Alex? Yeah, in terms of, I mean, in terms of measurement, obviously that's what we're doing. So, you know, in terms of measuring the, you know, the instances of your company or brand or whatever it is being mentioned on the internet, that's something, that's something very measurable. But in terms of how many people are exposed to that, you know, that's obviously, that's much more difficult. I mean, we, we, we do this, we do do this for our clients in terms of, so, but, I don't, you know, for, but we're doing it for, for mostly bigger brands who have quite a big um, presence online. So I don't know what your individual business is, but for, for, some, for a smaller company, it's something that's very hard to do. Whereas for, um, you know, if we're measuring it for Nike or something like that, obviously, you know, there, there's a lot more that we can measure in terms of, you know, the, the number of hits that that's generating onto their website through, say, panel-based measurement. If you wanted to benchmark, obviously, there's, there's tagging and site-centric for that side of things but in terms of i mean in terms of how many people are exposed to it i mean you, you would do that through a tagging technology you would be you would be measuring those blogs or whoever those influencers were but it you know it's a very it's very difficult to do in a cost effective way so i mean there's no you, you can put rules and um, proxies on you know in terms of bloggers in terms of okay we have sort of influencer scales. So, is it is it eyeballs? How many people read the blog? Is it is it how often they blog? Is it is it the the quality of their audience rather than the quantity? So, these these things can be done. But I mean, in terms of the technology, that's way above my head in terms of <laughs> how that actually works. But it, it it is possible. But for I mean, I have to say, for for smaller companies and so on, the I don't know whether the cost of doing something like that is is actually being brutally honest is is going to be worth your while and so on so for the um audiences quality and quantity do you go to comscore or something like that Where, how do you get that information in terms of the bloggers uh audience well i mean okay so we 
no, we wouldn't go to Comscore because they're our biggest rivals, and we do that information. So, um, of course. So, uh, so on the pat, so there are two two ways of essentially measuring website. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but there's a panel side of things which enables you to benchmark. So I could benchmark, you know, Nike against Reebok against Adidas very very easily because they're relatively big sites. But the limitations of any panel are the long tail because you need unless you've got a panel of hundreds of millions of people it's very hard to hit the long tail so it, it works up to i mean we track about six or seven thousand websites at the moment so the minute probably the lowest are something like seventy thousand visitors a month the flip side of measuring is through a tagging technology which is that internal site centric so yeah that we can do that but there's there's perhaps no there's no benchmarking aspect there and unless it's part of uh, we, we do things called market intelligence where we have benchmark sites, say, in South Africa or something where we have the 50 leading publishers tagged up. So even if they're small, we can adequately benchmark, you know, those type of sites. But for a smaller company, it's tagging, really, because you don't show up, you know, you wouldn't show up on panels. And bloggers, even... The, I mean, I get this call from journalists all the time, the most popular blogs. I mean, you know, again, I think Robin made the point earlier. It's, it's, it's still... We, talk about Twitter and so on. Twitter's almost a household name, but, you know, how many people are really using it? On our panel, it's hot, you know, it's very, very small. And this is the same even with the leading blogs, Guido Forks, things like this, who people know about and they talk a lot about. It's still very, very niche. And, you know, we can, from a panel perspective, give adequate figures unless there happened to be an amazing story one month and they went through the roof. But um... Does that help? Yeah? Okay, yeah. More practical examples would be good. Uh, well, no, I mean, I think, I think uh, yeah, that's, that's the million-dollar question, really. If we, could, if, we could, if we could solve that, um, you know, we'd probably be um, not here, but we'd all be in the Bahamas. Um, I mean, as Stuart said earlier, I mean, it's a similar problem that the PR industry has been struggling with for years, um, and they're in a much better position because the publications that, 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 that publish their stuff as a result of the activity that PR does, they have ABC circulations and everything else. In, in, the, in the instance of, of blogs and forums, it is very hard um, to get a measure of, of how many people read that and then obviously all those other factors which are important, how influential they are, um, you know, what sort of audience it is, etc., etc. There is no easy answer because that those are sites that aren't owned by you. Um, you can't ask them to put tracking tags in place. So you can, you know, you, you can make some approximation both through free tools um, and there are some... Um, suppliers out there, I'm sure Nielsen being one of them, but other, other monitoring companies that are starting in their, you know, in their to- technology when they're showing you blog coverage, giving you some idea of the influence and the audience numbers of those blogs. But to be honest, they're basing that on the same publicly available data um, you would be if you were approximating that yourself. So that's things like the number of um, subscriber, RSS subscribers, the, you know, the technology authority, um, look, looking at things like com, um, Comcast and, and, and Complete to try and get an estimation of traffic figures. But as, as Alex said, they're at the very bottom end of the long tail, so you're not going to get accurate traffic figures from that. I just, yeah, I want to reiterate, we can do it because we do do it for a lot of the bigger clients in terms of looking at bloggers and how many people are talking. But in terms of being cost-effective for a smaller enterprise, I would argue it probably isn't. And I hope none of my bosses are here. Just, just to kind of add on to what Robin said um, and pick up on what Helen said earlier, the key bit to this is the human element because coming from a PR background, yeah, media published their ABC figures, all of that, 
but you still, when you're putting together a campaign for the client, you've got to sit down and make that human judgment call about which is going to be the most influential publication for a particular audience you're trying to reach, because the raw numbers aren't going to do that. And and it's exactly the same what you're doing in um, the social media world. I mean, at Wolfstar, we've got some metrics that we use to actually start ranking blogs in how influential we think they're going to be. And it's, you know, it's all the sort of measures that Robin was talking about. A lot of them are freely available. It's just the work of compiling them. But at the end of the day, there is a, de- there is a decision made by a human being as to, where, as to where on the influence level it's going to fall. Again, I don't think that's entirely true because I think some, whether they've seen the technology that does this or not is the question. I don't want to be just combative. I'll, I'll give you some examples. So we've um, done a lot of tracking, a lot of metrics. And again, on the human side, so we're slightly different to the buzz side and there's a lot of value in tracking blogs, etc. But absolutely right, there is a lot of human value at the end of this. What we're saying is that statistically you can model influence. So you can see which nodes or which people within a particular network are likely to be most influential. And by doing so, you can actually target those people. So what we're saying is that you can measure that exposure. Uh, we've done it in the past. We did it for Inside Track, who are a property company um, in the past, where we actually measured various bits of exposure. So whether you came through a call center, whether you came through a website, a flyer, we captured all that data in one place and then tied it into the, finance, for the financial ledger. So you could see for every individual who came through exactly how much income or revenue that individual was bringing back in. It's entirely possible. Everybody has a vested interest, as, as Robin has said, really, on this panel. Everybody comes in from a different background. I think for us, one of the most important things as we go into what is clearly a new economic climate for the next couple of years is that you need to know where your business objective lies. And, and this has a lot to do with accountability. So if you want to be able to turn around to the internal marketing department and say, yeah, we got 20,000 page views yesterday for this blog article, that's great. But if you're able to turn around and say, not only did I get 20,000 page views, but 10% of those people converted into purchasing the product that our company sells. That, in this new economic climate, is going to be far, far more valuable. And what we're saying is not only can you measure that, but you can set up the business principles, the business rules, so that you don't need a human in line to basically say, because this individual is 18 and from Manchester, we should make this decision. The tools are there and automated and ready to do it. Robin wants to come back. So, Ankle, could you tell us, in the example you just gave us, where there were 10,000 views on the blog post, how you would track that? Sure, absolutely. So if you've got a blog post, at the moment we do it through affiliate IDs, so we have affiliate tracking. So this is someone else's blog that you don't have access to the server logs for and can't put any tracking technology on it. So how would you do that? So as I, it's unfortunate, but as we go from somebody's blog and we come through, we have a referrer ID, so we know exactly from which blog somebody's come from. We, in fact, know the exact page measure that somebody's come from. So from knowing which page they've come from, we can track them through our site right the way through to the sales metric and work out which blog has led to which sales. Okay, fair enough. If that, if that uh, blog... I, don't, I, don't, I want to be fair. This is, I'm not, we're not, you know, this is actually a really interesting debate. Um, I mean, I think, I think Ankle's right. If, if, if that article directly led people to decide they were going to buy something and they went straight from that blog post to the e-commerce website and bought something, yes, absolutely, you could track it in that way. But I don't think that's the way that, that, that most purchase cycles work really i mean yes in a paper in a paper paper click context where people are actively searching to buy products on google absolutely you can track the purchase path that way but we're talking as i mentioned earlier in social media about about things much fluffier things about people's predisposition to buy things about people's awareness and consideration of products which is obviously you know may 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 or may not lead to a sale two or three months later and they'll visit the website directly which is unfortunately something which is virtually impossible to measure on a you know on the sort of scale 
scale we're talking about. You know, in a, in a traditional advertising context, the, the way people measure the effectiveness of TV ads is through panel-based um, you know, surveys of, did you see the ad, and then did you go and buy that? And even that is um, fairly unreliable. Just to have some level of convergence, I do agree with some of the things Robin's saying. However, the paradigm that Robin's shifting back to is TV advertising, which is exactly the metric and the type of medium that he's desperate to move away from and that we all are. So I think what social media potentially really offers you is the ability to track. So yeah, no, not all the systems are in place, and I entirely agree with Robin that we're not all there yet. However, it's probably going to be better to work towards making that an optimized state rather than working on TV ads. And what that really means is I can now know that if Uncle Shah, who's 21 years old and lives in Manchester, has viewed this particular blog article, four steps later he's moved away and not bored anything, but two months down the line he has, then I can still have those statistics. And we're working towards models that allow that to happen. And I think what you'll see is that a lot of the buzzmetric stuff definitely falls into play. There's, there's clear value in it. But also the more granular, the lower level stuff about exactly who's doing what is going to be more important and taking into account privacy, which no doubt somebody will raise shortly. Uh, we have another question at the back. Guy with the glasses on. Again, just say who you are and where you're from. Thanks. Yeah, uh, it's Conway Wig from Propeller Group. Um, yeah, I just wanted to sort of ask people what they were, um, what their feelings were about, um, you know, social media integrating into the marketing mix because we're talking about social media in a sort of purely silo kind of basis at the moment. And I think one of the most important things to, to sort of think about is the fact that when we're, on, you know, when we're online, we're also watching TV at the same time or listening to the radio. And I think there's a bit of a kind of debate that still needs to be had about how it all integrates together. This isn't something that stands, stands alone and we're all you know, doing our social media and that, that's it. And, you know, so, so I just want sort of people's views on how perhaps marketeers are increasingly going to demand a sort of more holistic picture of what's happening rather than just sort of individual bit, bits and pieces. Helen, probably one for you, is that? Working for a full-service digital agency, as you do? Yeah, I, I do. I work for a company which builds websites, banners, the whole kind of mix, as well as the social media side of things. So a lot of the campaigns that we do are working with the above-the-line agencies as well as the digital side of things. So making sure that social media works across every level of that is really important. So making sure that when we measure things, it's how many people came from the advert, then downloaded the widget from the advert, where they blogged about it, where they could take content from, and all of that, and how, seeing how each element of it linked together. So if they saw that piece of content, what did they think about it? If they saw that connected with the TV ad, then what did they think off the back of that? And how all the combinations of it fit together? Because just seeing a TV ad is going to have a different effect on you as seeing a piece of content, playing with a widget, and looking at how that all works together. So if it's the same marketing message across it, and it's the same visuals and the same campaign, fantastic. You can end up with a really, really amazing metric off the back of it where people are saying, I remembered everything because I saw X amount of piece of content. It's true. Yeah, no, just to add that, uh, that's a really good question because uh, basically that was the main driver behind, behind why I started Wolfstar and why, why I, because my background is in traditional public relations and one of the, one of the things I was, um, we started a year ago finding increasingly frustrating is that people were looking at social media in isolation and that's not the way to approach it. It's, it's exactly the same as you should, uh, as you should be integrating um, all of the marketing mix into your, into your corporate comms plan. Social media is just one element of it. And I think ev for every organisation, it's going to be an element. With some, it's going to be a tiny element. And maybe all you're going to be doing is, is monitoring 
um, and occasionally responding to something. With other organisations, it might be a very, a, a very big element. But I think one of, one of the critical things, as, as Helen was saying, is you have, you have got to be able to integrate it into that, um, into that plan. And it also goes beyond just marketing. Um, it's also, you know, it's also going to have an impact on your reputation, um, for example, for recruitment or share price and all of those issues. And you've got to have the ability to understand the ramifications of what you're doing, and understand that, you know, yeah, one, one particular campaign might be brilliant for driving sales, but what, what's it actually doing to the long-term future of the company? Okay, we've got time for one more question. So uh, there's one down here. Could you? Hi, um, Benedict from Picture Production Company. Uh, first thing, I completely agree. I think social media right now, it's not mainstream and works well for some type of audiences and mainly the hyper-wired, you know, 18 to 24 years old gener- generation. What strikes me is that no one gave a definition of social media because social media means a lot of different things to various people. And what as well I was not mentioned is that there is a brand new generation growing up up there making purchase decisions based on user-generated content. Not on content pushed by a brand, not by the company website, but what people or their peers think or comment upon. And I would love to find out what your definition of social media is and would love to find out, in a way, what or do you think we can build because let's face it for me social media right now is about creating a buzz it's not about ROI and it's about actually brand advocacies and I would like to understand how you guys can turn you know relatively niche communities into brand advocates uh, and cool given we've only got three or four minutes you're the only one who gets the chance to define what social media is I'll be 30 seconds I think we've been on this kind of road show for about 18 months and right at the outset people saying define social media define social media it's really new I think, to be fair, we've gone, gone beyond that, and I'll tell you why. I don't think social media is new. It's just a replication of offline behavior. It's peer recommendation. It's people talking, but they're doing it online, and the tools are there for them to do it online. I don't believe it's a new class of people making purchasing decisions. I think it's exactly the same class of people, but they're doing it in an online environment now. And I think we're all, to some extent, finding that, and it's probably the only thing we do agree on, and that actually having gone behind that, it is about ROI, ultimately, but maybe Buzz is a part of that as we go through. Maybe PPC is a part of that as we go through. And so all of it fits into one comfortable pie, um, I think. I'm sorry to disagree. I truly think that there is, for a new generation of people out there, the only um, factor, purchasing factor, is those conversations online. You know, I mean, I look at my kids. They don't watch TV. They don't, you know, they don't, they don't care about all this stuff. However, they know about Bebo. All their mates got the network profiles. They know about Twitter, etc. And those guys are making decisions based on what their peers say to them. So I think, yes, it is a factor. Okay, I think that's actually quite a good place to leave it. Sorry about that, Robin. So you get the last word. Well done. Um, it's obviously a subject which uh, there is so much more to say about, and it's quite frustrating to try and pack it all in an hour. But for now, we're going to have to thank our panellists. Thank you to Robin, to Alex, to Stuart, to Helen, and to Ankur. And thank you for your time. Cheers. Chinwag Live, social media ROI, on tour at the e-commerce expo on 28th October 2008, was a Chinwag production sponsored by the UKTI. For more information, please visit www.live.chinwag.com.